All right. No signal. That's all right. We'll bow our, uh, our hearts and pray to Yahweh a while. Bow with me. Father, we thank you so much for this Shabbat day that you have given us. We thank you so much for this gift that you have given, this day of rest, this day of um, coming together, of fellowship, and of praising you. We thank you, Father, um, for the offerings that have been offered so far today, Father, and I just pray that you may be with me as I uh, lead this study, and um, may you see us all home safely, and uh, may we just praise you in all things. And we ask this prayer in the name of your Son, Yeshua, our Messiah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> so uh, just to give you a four, forewarning, this is going to be a little bit of a longer message, so make sure you're, you know, nice and comfortable. figure I came all this way, I might as well make it worth my time, so... <laughs> Um, we're going to talk today about honest weights and measures, and um, so obviously we're going to be talking quite a lot about money. You know, one of the things that are, uh, it's actually like one of the things that's fought most uh, over um, within marriages, and uh, people fight over, and careers, and everything else, but in Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 and 16, we're going to start out. It says, you shall have in your bag two kinds of weights, or you shall not have in your bag two kinds of weight." A large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have. A full and fair measure you shall have. That your days may be long in the land that Yahweh your Elohim is giving you. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to Yahweh your Elohim. So today we are going to take a deep dive into what it is to have an honest weight and measure. And more specifically, like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about money. So today, we're going to look at, number one, what money was scripturally and historically. We're going to look at the units of measure that were used in scriptures. We're going to look at a few examples of transactions in the scriptures and convert them um, into currency rates that we can try to look at and, and comprehend their, their value. We're going to look at what Yahshua had to say about money. We're going to also look at why fiat currency that's used in most countries today is not money as defined by Scripture and therefore is not an honest weight and measure. And um, so there's your politics too there, Jose. And then uh, we're also going to look at how we as believers should view and treat money. One of the first examples that we have in Scripture um, of money comes from uh, when Yahweh gives Abraham the covenant of circumcision. He tells him in Genesis 17, 12, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. The Hebrew word here that is translated money is kasef. Kasef is uh, made up of <clears throat> kof, samik, uh, pay, that's a final pay. And it's from uh, H, uh, he, or it's Hebrew, it's from the Strong's Hebrew 3701. The root is 3700, which we'll look at here in a, mid, in the, a minute, but it's silver. And it gets that, uh, that word from, or it's word kasef, from its pale cover, color, by implication, money. So we see here that the word money really means silver. In fact, most of the times when it shows up in the Hebrew text, it is translated as silver. Um, this is actually this morning when we read, when Lucas read Genesis 43, and it was talking about the money 
that was actually the Hebrew word kasef. Every time in Genesis 43 where it said money, it was kasef. Um, the King James Version translates uh, Strong's Hebrew or H3701 in the following manner. Silver, 287 times. Money, 112 times. Price, three times. Silverlings, once for a total of 403 times. And actually, the very first occurrence of this word is in Genesis 13.2, where it says, Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Like I said, I wanted to take a, a look at the root word for kasef, which is kasaf. And in all reality, it's actually the same word, just has different vowel pointings. And it, um, <clears throat> it means... Uh, basically, to become pale, to pine after, to ha- and to desire, to be greedy, long or sore. So in, it's translated um, it's six times in scriptures. It's desire twice, long twice, greedy once, sore once. So even though it only shows up six times, I think it's interesting that the root word for silver or money is a word that is used to describe greed and desire. Um, and also to long or pine after. And just, yeah, it kind of makes me think of the depictions of uh, the gold miners and silver miners back in the day, how they always kind of look like these crazy, greedy men, you know, with a kind of a crazy eye looking at you. But anyhow, in the Hebrew scriptures, um, we see that the word translated money is always kasef. Although kasef is not always translated money, it's also translated as silver. But in the Brit Hadashah in the New Testament, the word in your KJV, the word money in your KJV can be translated from several different words, and we actually won't have time to look at all of them. We will look at a few of the most common ones. First, let's look at the word that is most often used for money. So we're going to turn to Acts 8.20 to look at a good example. And this is a good example because... You'll see the word money twice, but it's actually from two completely different Greek words. However, the translators chose to translate it as money. Quick background uh, to this verse. This is where Peter and John go up to Samaria. They want to go up and see all the headway that Philip is making up there in Samaria, proclaiming the good news. And uh, when they go up, Simon the sorcerer um, shows up and sees Peter laying his hands and people getting the, the Ruach HaKodesh. And uh, he's like, hey, let me buy this. Uh, But Peter's response to him is, uh, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of Elohim could be purchased with money. So the first usage in this verse is a word that, like I said, is most commonly used in the New Testament for money, and that is agurion. And um, basically it means silverly, by implication, cash, specifically a silver lien, which is a silver coin, either being a drachma or a shekel, which we'll look at when we get to them here in a little bit, also money and silver. Um, so it, within the New Testament, it's translated money 11 times, piece of silver five times, silver three times, and silver piece once. Um, so, And that is from the Greek word. Okay, so I have it up there too. Um, Aguros, which again means, you know, kind of is shining, but it, it means silver, more, but more specifically the metal um, or the, the coin and silver. So, and it is uh, in scripture five times and every time that is translated as silver. 
So the second occurrence in the verse that we looked at here in Acts um, 8.20 is uh, the Greek 55.36, which is the Greek word krema. And it means something useful or needed, i.e. wealth, price, money, or riches. And the KJV translates it as money four times and riches three times. So here we see that within the Greek language, um, they have a word that is more generically used for money. And then, um, but then sometimes the word that can be translated as silver can be used as money as well. Uh, Many Bible translations will actually translate uh, Acts 8.20. I think the ESV is one. But the, when you're looking at this verse here, the first time it says, your silver perish with you because you thought that the gift of Elohim could be purchased with money. That's how, how many translations uh, translate that. Um, so what I'm trying to establish here is that the Hebrew Scripture's concept of money is silver. And that even carries into the New Testament as well, but the Greek kind of broadens the understanding of money to be riches or something else useful. Uh, We will see other words in Greek a little bit later uh, when we look at other passages. But some might say, well, what about gold? Well, as we know, gold is certainly not absent from the Bible. As we read earlier, we saw it in Genesis 13 too. Uh, In fact, it's actually even mentioned in the second chapter of Exodus in, uh, or I'm sorry, in Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, second chapter of Genesis, where it says, uh, the name of the first is Pisan, which encompasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. So <clears throat> the Hebrew word for gold is Zabah, from an unused root meaning to shimmer. Gold figuratively, something gold in color. So the KJV translates uh, Hebrew, or the Hebrew word, 2091 in the following manner, gold 348 times, golden 40 times, fair weather once for a total of 389 times. So while gold is certainly, was certainly a commodity, and it was, uh, I'm sure it was used in trade, it doesn't appear that it was used as a regular medium of exchange as gold coins. Um, at least we don't, I don't really see any um, evidence of this in our scriptures as we go through it. It's going to be silver. Silver is what was used as a regular medium of exchange. I really think that gold really wasn't used that much because of its higher value. It was mainly used for making jewelry, um, and we know it was used extensively within the construction of the tabernacle and then later the temple, especially for the furniture. Um, And I, I actually wanted to look at that, but realized I just needed to cut that out, and that's a whole teaching for another time to look at that. Um... But let's, uh, what, I, what we're going to look at and concentrate on is, uh, is silver. So we're going to take a look at that in the dom- denominations or units of measure where it's used. In doing so, this is going to be quite a history lesson. So I'm going to jump quick to Wikipedia, um, just because it's a nice, open, quick, open source to, to copy from. But they actually had a really, um, a really good definition of a unit of measure in history, and it's um, going to take us back to scriptural standards. So a unit of measure is a standardized quantity of, of a physical property used as a factor to express occurring quantities of that property. Units of measure were among the earliest tools invented by humans. Primitive societies needed rudimentary measures for many tasks, constructing dwellings of an appropriate size and shape, fashioning clothing, or bartering food or raw materials. 
The earliest known uniform systems of measurement seem to all have been created sometime in the 4th and 3rd millennia BCE among the ancient peoples of Mesopotamia, Egypt, and the Indus Valley. Now, I find it interesting, you know, 4th to 3rd millennia BCE is, you know, right around the time of the flood. So weights and measures are mentioned in the Bible, Leviticus 19.35-36. It is a command to be honest and to have fair measures. So I'm going to be going with the theory that this practice of unit of measure came from Mesopotamia. As we know, this is where civilization restarted after the flood. Also, it's where Abraham came from. And what we're about to see is that that is the origin of money. And that origin of money actually comes from agriculture and therefore ultimately takes us back to the land. In the book, Debt, the First 5,000 Years by David Graeber, he details, The Mesopotamian system is the best documented. As it happens, we know a great deal about Mesopotamia since the vast majority of cuneiform documents were financial in nature. Sumerian economy was dominated by vast temple and palace complexes. These were often staffed by thousands, priests and officials, craftspeople who worked in their industrial workshops, farmers and shepherds who worked their, con- their considerable estates. Even though ancient Sumer was usually divided into, lar- into a large number of independent city-states, by the time the curtain goes up on Mesopotamian civilization around 3500 B.C., the temple administrators already appear to have developed a single uniform system of accountancy, one that is in some way still with us today. Actually, because it's the Sumerians that we owe such things as the dozen, 60-minute hour, or the 24-hour day. The basic monetary unit was the silver shekel. One shekel's weight in silver was established as the equivalent of one gur, or bushel of barley. A shekel was subdivided into 60 minas. Now, this is where it actually differs, and we'll talk about it later, the Sumerian system, because within Hebraic system, with the biblical system, the mina was larger than the, the shekel. Here, um, the, the mina is apparently is smaller. Either that or it's a misquoted by this author. But anyhow, the, the shekel was subdivided into 60 minas, corresponding to one portion of barley on the principle that there were 30 days in a month, and a temple worker received two rations of barley every day. From here, the author goes on to explain how the Sumerians used the silver barley system to calculate debts, things such as rents, fees, and loans. And that debt could be paid in silver or in barley or even with other goods that they may have. As we will soon see, this shekel system was carried along with Abraham to the Holy Land and was the system of accounting for the entire Middle East for thousands of years. It was actually still used um, in the early 20th century by Arab, Arab traders, and actually some Arab traders still use this system today. Even Israel's fiat currency system that's in use today is called the New Israeli Shekel. So this, it's still there. You know, I mean, it's a fiat currency because it's just, it's just paper, but it's still called the Shekel. Another book that I'm going to be referencing quite a bit um, is a book by Roland Duvall called Ancient Israel, Volume 1, Social Institution. Chapter 13 in this book is actually dedicated completely to weights and measures. 
One of the first things I want to point out in this book is how a unit of measure was grounded in agricultural realities. So the homer is, by derivation, an ass load. It is a large measurement for cereals. And they were talking about a donkey, a donkey load. So, and by cereals, he's actually referring to things like, you know, wheat and barley, grains, not cocoa pebbles and fruit loops, for those that may be thinking that. So, here we see that the common biblical measurement of the homer, which is kind of like the kind of benchmark um, measurement of grain, was defined by how much a donkey could carry. And that actually makes sense, since a homer is 6.24 U.S. bushels, or 50 dry gallons. So you'd imagine, imagine the volume of about 10 five-gallon buckets of grain tied up in sacks and draped over the back of a donkey. Even land within the Hebrew term was valued in agricultural terms. Quoting from uh, ancient Israel again, it, it says, <clears throat> Agricultural measurements were empirical. The acre, samed, Literally, a yoke or harnessing is the area which a team of oxen can work in a day. Ancient Israel, page 198. So just for clarification, in case you have to look it up, which I did, empirical means based on, concerned with, okay, yeah, based on, concerned with, or verifiable by observation or experience rather than theory or pure, pure logic. So basically, it's an adjective that says it's more something that's observed. It's not like a finite amount of measurements. It's something that, um, you know, it's a different way of thought than what we're used to. And again, uh, as he quoted the word, the Hebrew word for acre is samed, and it means a yoke or team, i.e. a pair. Hence an acre, i.e. which is a day's task for a yoke of cattle to plow. So it's um, translated as, Strong's translate translates the word samed as yoke seven times, couple four times, two, two times, together once, acres once, for a total of 15 times. So the picture that I'm trying to, to draw here is that true weights and measurements are real values that affect us day, you know, every day. They have true ratios to the amount of work put into something as to what you get out of it. They don't, they don't change, but they actually hold their valuation with each other over time. They're real true. They're real and true, because this is how Yahweh intended things to be. So as we move on here, as a point of clarification, I'm going to be using um, tables from BibleHub.com for all my conversions that we're going to be getting into here shortly. Um, So the the first kind of one we'll look at here, we're not going to spend much time, but is weights. Um, This is how precious metals were weighed out. We can see the shekels kind of in the middle. That's that's like the most common. Um, We'll see gera quite a bit, and um, you know we'll see talents a bit, but mostly shekels is what we're going to be dealing with, and uh, that's that's the most common conversion of weights when we're talking um, when we're talking silver being weighed out, and it's roughly about 0.4 ounces. Liquid measurements, I just kind of threw it up here. We're really not going to be talking about it, other than the Homer again is the kind of benchmark um, measurement whether in, wit, whether in uh, dry measurements or liquid. So dry measurements, we're gonna, ephahs you see quite a bit in scripture. And um, the homer is 6.24 bushels. The ephah, because it's a tenth of a homer, is 0.64 bushels. 
But really, the, the way to think about uh, an ephah, when you see it in Scripture, think a five-gallon bucket. Five-gallon bucket of grain is an ephah. Um, and an omer is uh, the other one. That's about two dry quarts. So if you want to kind of imagine how much an omer is when it talks about o- different offerings and an omer, and, and we're really not going to look at any examples. I just want to put these things in your mind because we will see these words a bit. But a typical feed scoop that you see is usually two to three um, quarts. So the, the bigger kind of deeper ones are three quarts. A smaller kind of shallower dish ones usually about two quarts. <clears throat> and... Let's see, such dry measurements. And then money, and in this sense, money is really just defined here uh, in the New Testament terms of the denarius, which we are going to be looking at quite a bit, the drachma, the didrachma, which is two, and then, like I said, talents, or measurement of weight, but it can be in money as well. And most of these, you know, these charts have all the different scriptural um, ties to them, but... um, we actually see him used quite a bit here in Ezekiel 45, 9 through 12. And this is kind of talking about in the, the kingdom. It's a kingdom uh, passage, chapters here, several chapters towards the end of Ezekiel. And it says, Thus says Adonai Yahweh, Enough, O princes of Israel, put away violence and oppression and execute justice and righteousness. Cease your evictions of my people, declares Adonai Yahweh. You shall have just balances, a just ephah, and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure. So that's liquid. Bath would be a liquid measurement. The ephah is the dry measurement. They shall be of the same measure. The bath containing one-tenth of a homer. And the ephah containing one-tenth of a homer. The homer shall be the standard measurement, or the standard measure. The shekel shall be 20 geras. 20 shekels plus 25 shekels plus 15 shekels shall be your mina. The totaling that we see here in verse 12 would seem kind of odd. Why you just say it's 60 of them? Well, we're going to talk about it a little bit about um, when they say honest weights and measures, these, uh, these merchants had purses of different sized stones. And they would total them up, and uh, they would probably have like a 15 shekel stone, one that was 25 shekel weighted stone, a a 20-weighted shekel, so you would take different weights and put them on the one side of the scale to be able to balance them out. Um, And this kind of gives us a better idea of what it means to have an honest weight and measure and a dishonest weight and measure. Um, So we're going to go back to the book Ancient Israel, and um, we're going to read a quote from there where it says, While foodstuffs were measured by volume, precious metals or precious materials and metals were weighed. Small things were weighed on a beam balance with two scales. The weights, usually of hard stone, were called ebon, which means both stone and weight. So it, it carries the same meaning. One word, two meanings. Um, they were kept in a purse. The weight is shachal, and the shachel, or shekel, was consequently the basic unit of weight. The unit is common, this unit is common to all ancient Semitic metrologies. In a story from the patriarchal period, before the institution of the state, there was a reference to shekels, which were current among the merchants, which we're going to look in Genesis 23 in just a bit here. But it sometimes happens that traders had large and small stones, two different kinds of weights, 
according to whether they were buying or selling. Excuse me. So the merchants would have two sets of stones, and they would vary a little bit. One were a little heavier, and the ones were a little lighter, but they would have the same markings. Um, and basically, these shady merchants, they would have, uh, like I said, a heavier and a lighter one. So if they were buying something from somebody, they would get out their heavier weights to make sure that they were getting a little bit more of whatever they were buying. But when they were selling something, they'd take their lighter weights out and put them on the scale, and then they'd sell you a little less. I've actually experienced something like this in modern day when you actually go to buy um, silver or gold. I've gone to some of these exchange locations, and what they do is they'll actually charge you like $2 over the spot price of silver for, your, for any silver you buy, and about $50 over the spot price for gold. So they're, they're getting, that's where they're kind of getting their cut. But if you go back to the same place to sell them your silver, they won't pay you the $2 back. They won't even give you the spot value. No, what do they do? They'll give you about $3 under spot for gold and, you know, or for silver and, you know, about $50 again under spot for gold. So they're just open about robbing you at this point. It's, it's kind of a joke. And I actually wondered if back then people kind of knew what was going on with the merchants and it was just saying, well, that's the cost of doing business. But regardless, Yahweh says that that's not okay. You're supposed to have an even adjust weight and measure. You know, it's supposed to be just. You're not supposed to be taking it, you know, they're taking it from you whether you're coming or going. They're getting it on both sides. And you as, as the person that's buying or trying to sell to these merchants, you're, you're getting taken advantage of. All right, so now we're going to get a little bit closer into the fun part um, to dive into these scriptures and do some math and calculate um, the cost of some of these transactions. But there's one caveat. I'm actually going to use three different methods to come to a value. So the first way, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to convert um, the spot price of silver. So knowing the weight of a shekel, I'm going to take the spot price of silver and I'm going to convert it. The second way is I'm going to convert it based on the price of barley. And this is, this is a little bit of a looser one. I had to try to take some, I'll, I'll go over it, but it's a little bit looser. It's not as, so kind of take that one for what you will. And then the third way, which I think is going to give us actually the kind of best understanding of the cost of these things and put it into the best perspective as us in the 21st century, is the, what I'm going to call the denarius or the day's wage valuation. So <clears throat> for reasons that I'm not going to have time to explain, I had a hard time determining what I should use for the silver price. Um, I'm going to, just briefly, I'm going to say that I feel it's unfair to use our current spot price today, which is, I mean, I haven't actually looked at it this past week, um, but it's under $20 an ounce. And the reason it is, is because silver is being intentionally devalued through paper, paper silver. And what paper silver is, is if anybody has a, you know, IRA or 401k, and it says you have precious metals in there, you don't actually have silver and gold somewhere in a safe with your name on it saying, this is Josh's silver and gold. No, actually what they do is they have a contract to buy silver or gold, in effect creating paper money, and all it actually does is drives down the price of silver, which is what their intention is. But anyway, because of the U.S. coming off of the gold standard, first in 1933 by Roosevelt and then permanently by Nixon in 1971, the prices have basically been all over the charts since then. And like I said, about two weeks ago or a week ago, whenever I looked, it was about $20 a troy ounce. 
But a year ago, it was $30 a troy ounce. And back in 2011, it was $50 a troy ounce. And even in the early 1980s, it was near $50 a troy ounce. Over the past few decades, the price kind of was up and down around $20 an ounce. But since we know that the price is intentionally devalued, and we now have runaway inflation, and I want to try to give you, you know, because of this, I want to try to give you an accurate portrayal. So I'm actually going to use $40 a troy ounce. But body, because I think that that's minimum what it's worth. It's actually, we'll see in a while, it should theoretically be worth, worth way more than that. But we're going to use $40 a troy ounce. But keeping in mind right now, if you want to buy silver, now's a good time. In the same vein, I have to value, come up with a value of barley. And I'm going to use $12 per bushel for barley. Um, i doing some online searches. That's the market value for organic, non-GMO barley seed. I think it's a pretty accurate price because I actually bought some locally Amish-grown organic um, non-GMO wheat, and this actually was pretty neat. They actually grew it. The guy grew it. They, sh- they put it in shocks, in sheaves and shocks, and had it in the field, and they went and threshed it. And um, so it's good stuff. It's non-GMO seed, and um, I paid twelve fifty per bushel. Now, on the flip side, you can go and you can buy the, the GMO sprayed with glyphosate, which is Roundup, you know, Terrible um, barley for around $6 a bushel. But I wanted to give the higher value for the higher quality product because I believe that the, the organically grown non-GMO seed is closer to what Yahweh intends for us to eat. I think it's closer to what was anciently grown, even though I believe you know grains have kind of changed over the year through hybrid, hybridization and other things. But it's what Yahweh intended and especially considering the manual means of growing it, um, I, I think the higher value of $12 a bushel is what we're going to go with. So while we're talking about barley and coming up with the value of barley, we're going to look at um, the, the way I came up with it, because it's like, well, how did you come up with this value? So Leviticus 27, verse 16 says, If a man dedicates to Yahweh part of the land that is in his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and the deduction shall be made from the valuation. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall make a shekel. So the first thing I'm going to point out that in verse 16 it says, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed, can also be translated as, then your assessment shall be proportionate to the seed needed for it, a homer of barley seed at 50 shekels of silver. So again, this is an empirical measurement based on the productivity of the land or how much land it takes to sow. So, it, but it's not a standard land area measurement, or even considered that they didn't even value it as an acre, but they, in proportion to the barley that it either, and this is what we're going to look at, it's either the barley seed that it takes to sow, for an, so, so how much ground can an omer of barley sow, or how much ground can an omer of barley, sorry, a homer of barley produce? They're two different things, and they're going to come up with two different values. We're going to look at them, and we're going to pick which one and, and go from there. But um, this, this um, 
thought of basically this empirical thought of agriculture and um, this, well, I'm going to tell you a while. I'm leaning towards how much land um, a barley of shekel, I should say, an omer of barley seed, how much land, you know, seed, what it produces, that's what's worth the 50 shekels. And the reason is in Leviticus 25, 14, I'm just going to kind of jump for the sake of time, jump down to, well, I'm just going to, I better read it. So 15, it says, you shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee, and he shall sell you according to the number of crops. It is the years, if the years are many, you shall increase the price. If the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is the number of crops that he is selling you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your Elohim, for I am Yahweh your Elohim. So it's the number of crops that he is selling. It, it's an interesting concept that I think we could really learn from, and I actually really believe it's the way that we should be. And I could actually go on and talk about this for a while, but I really need to finish up this bunny trail so we can get back on the main track. So based on this valuation, one omer at 50 shekels, just taking it at that, when we do the math, one omer of barley, barley seed equaling 50 shekels of silver, that means one omer equaling 6.24 bushels. And so you take the 6.24 bushels times the $12 of, um, per bushel, like I said, and that comes up with $74.88. For 50 shekels, you divide that by 50, it says one shekel equals $1.50. That seems cheap. So let's check that price with our silver spot price of $40 an ounce. So a, sh- a shekel, it's $40. So one shekel is 0.4 ounces. Multiply the 0.4 times our $40 an ounce that we're going with. That's $16.08 per shekel. So <clears throat> that's a big difference, real big difference. So let's look at this in terms of the value being how much land can be sown with an omer of barley, then take the value of what that yields, since that's how most by most translations translate it, and actually commentaries. So um, I looked at a lot of commentaries, and most of the commentaries were indicating that it's uh, when you value it, it's with how much land an omer of barley seed can sow, and then then versus its yield. So sorry for the complications, but let's look at it this way. If we take one omer being 6.24 bushels, the planting rate of barley is typically 1.5 to 2 bushels per acre. So we're going to take we're going to go in the middle and take 1.75. So that means that our omer of barley is going to sow about three and a half acres. So we're going to use this three and a half acres, kind of round it off, and uh, three and a half acres times 50 bushels of acre. So 50 bushels, let me get back. So 50 bushels is the average yield of an acre of barley field. So when you, once your barley grows up, you sow it. Per acre, you're going to get about 50 bushels. So three and a half bushels times uh, three, and a, sorry, three and a half acres times 50 bushels equals 175 bushels, which equals 28 homers. 175 bushels times $12 is 2100 and we're going to divide that 2100 for our 50 shekels and brings it to $42 per shekel. All right. I think this puts it a little bit more in line and makes a little bit more sense than a shekel only being worth a dollar and dollar 50 cents. Um, you know, 
lot of things we could try to chalk it up to, but um, for the purposes of this, like I said, this is why you can kind of take the, the barley valuation for what it is. But the big thing that I notice is it, it really shows this kind of dishonest weights and measures, this kind of um, you know discrepancy. We already can see that the shekel, what the shekel of silver is worth, is not worth you know the same as the barley price. It's it's double. The barley's you know double than what the silver is. So should silver be more at eighty? I don't know. We'll talk about that later. <clears throat> so. Now we're going to switch, and we're going to take a look at what I think is going to be give us the best perspective, and that is going to be the you know what a daily wage of a laborer was. So we're going to take this uh, these valuations, these first two valuations, set them on the back burner, and we're going to turn to Matthew twenty. For the sake of time, we're not going to read everything, but. Um, We'll start out, and then I'll skip down as we get repetitive in this verse. For the kingdom of heaven, uh, so uh, start in verse 1 in Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And as we know out, he, go, he goes throughout the day, different hours, and he brings people in. Um, let's see. So, verse 8, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call in the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Oh, back, okay, we'll, we'll see it anyhow. So, and when those hired about the 11th hour, so guys were hired anywhere from the first hour of the day all the way up to the 11th hour. Um, so when those hired at the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now those hired first came, and they thought that they would receive more. But each of them received also a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, The last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you, you no wrong. Did you agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give the, to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me, or are you, are you begrudging my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, the spiritual meaning of this whole parable, and basically people that have been doing this their whole life, or, you know, versus those who just come into it, you know, that's the spiritual meaning. That's an, another message for another day. But there's two things that I wanted to take out of this. First, is that the daily wage of a standard farm laborer was the denarius. The denarius um, comes from the Greek word denarion, and um, it's of Latin origin, and it says it's equal to ten asses, and it's translated in the KJV as a pence or a penny. But in reality, it's the denarius. Uh, if I look, I grabbed here. Uh, did I grab that? Okay. Yeah, so the, under outline of biblical usage from the Blue Letter Bible, when you look at the meaning of the word, it says denarius, which means counting ten. It says that the denarius is a Roman silver coin in New Testament times. It took its name from it being equal to ten asses. A number in 27 or 217 BCE that was increased to 16. So it was about 3.9 grams, some say 4 grams, but basically a tenth of an ounce, or I'm sorry, a little bit less than that, 
0.137, but also I've, I've, the sources I have, that Bible hub said it was a tenth of an ounce. But it was the principal silver coin of the Roman Empire. From the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, it would seem that the denarius was the ordinary pay for the day's wage. So um, <clears throat> we're going to... We're going to um, figure out the value of a denarius in, in modern-day terms, not in spot price quite yet, but in what you work. The next thing, though, that we had to look at with um, Matthew 20 was that the workday was actually tw- 12 hours. It was a 12-hour workday, not an 8-hour like we're used to. So we're going to take $12, um, and I, I came up with $12 as an average um, farm labor salary or I should say hourly um, wage is basically based on my own experience and also from a few searches that I did you know where it was saying the average wage was you know 10 to 12 bucks but I'm taking $12 an hour so $12 an hour times 12 hours equals 144 denarii or 144 dollars is the value of one denarius four denarius equals one shekel which so one shekel is going to equal five hundred and seventy-six dollars. So now we're going to check that against our spot price of silver. One denarius equals one troy point one troy ounce. So that point one troy ounce times our forty dollars spot price would mean four dollars. So is it four four dollars for the piece of silver or your daily wage of one hundred and forty-four dollars? Big difference. Big tip in the scales. So that's crazy, but it's true. It just show you, shows you how devalued and how de- dishonest the fiat currency system is. If we would use our daily wage valuation to calculate the spot price of silver, it would actually be $1,440 per ounce. Not 40 that we're using, but $1,440 an ounce. So that kind of makes us question, well, was Yahshua's parable accurate? Was the wage of a laborer really only one denarius? Well, one clue that I found was from an article about Roman soldiers from EnglishHistory.net. In that article, it stated that the yearly salary for infantrymen was 300 denarii per year. So you take that, you know, you figure they had weekends off maybe, you know, so that's, that's giving you about, you know, your 300 or at least one, one day a week off would take you to about 300 days, so 300 denarii a year. So that sounds about right. Another clue, and actually uh, an interesting fact that showed how silver held its value over over the centuries, was from a report that I found from the U.S. Department of Labor that was um, from 1934. And it was about the history, it was entitled, The History of Wages in the U.S. from Colonial Times to 1928. It was a fascinating read. Keep you up all night. On page 134 of the report, it talks about the wage of a free laborer, meaning one that was not bound, um, that was not bond like an indentured servant or a slave. So it states that the early history of the Virginia, I don't think I put that on a slide, I didn't. So the early history of the Virginia settlement, hired laborers commanded wages of one pound of tobacco, which was worth three shillings a day, and their food. But by the close of the 17th century, the rate had fallen to one shilling per day. So a shilling is actually a British coin that also transferred and was used in the, in the colonies before, um, before the U.S. was founded. And it was made of silver, and it was roughly about one gram heavier than a denarii. So a little bit 
bigger than a denarii. So slightly bigger, maybe figure the size. Like a dime is slightly smaller than a denarii. So maybe the size of a nickel is what a shilling is. But pretty much the same size. Based on what, we've, what I found in this report is that 1,600 years after the time of Yeshua, the wage of a hired laborer was the same. It was still a denarii, a, you know, that much silver, so silver carried its value. That was still the day wage of a laborer. Now, it said that early on, you know, earlier in the, in the 15th century, in the 16, early in the 1600s, that a pound of tobacco being worth three shillings was the day's wage. But number one, I think that was two, two main factors I found out, is the first was a lack of coinage that was available to pay people, and also there was a lack of labor. And, um, you know, tobacco was the main, was actually used for currency in Virginia. In the early days of Virginia, it was put into law that people actually had to accept tobacco as payment. Um, but it was kind of slightly devout, you know, it was, it was worth more as sale to a, to a merchant. However, um, if you were paying somebody with it, you kind of had to pay them a little bit more because it wasn't a coin. All right, now that we've established our matrix, our matrix of conversion and have tested it for accuracy, let's look at a few transactions. Um, okay, so I'm, before we jump into that, I did want to show you this one, um, this one chart. So, let's see, point of work. Okay, so this guy right here, that is, um, that's the denarius. This is a half a shekel. And this is the shekel. Um, we, we don't have, these are copper coins that were also used in Yeshua's time, and we won't get a chance to look at them, but um, that's your denarius. Like I said, roughly about the size of a dime. So here's our matrix. We're going to be looking, we're going to be doing these transactions. And as an estimator, I like numbers, so I want, like I said, I wanted this matrix three different ways. So we're going to, our, our first one is going to be the spot price of silver at one shekel, equaling $16.08. We're going to have our barley valuation being one shekel, equal, equaling $42 per shekel. And our daily wage valuation has one shekel worth $576. As we can see, unequal scales. So we need three different ways to try to weigh this out. How am I doing with time, roughly? Is there anybody... Good? All right. So it's going to be a while yet, so I'm asking. So <clears throat> this, uh, this transaction that we're going to look at here, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is where Abraham buys the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to, as a burial plot for Sarah, and then, you know, it's, it's used by all the patriarchs. So verse, um, Abraham's inquiring about the price of the land, and Ephron answered Abraham and said, My master, listen to me, a piece of land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named for the, in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So, we're going to do our conversion. 400 shekels weighs out to about 100 and, or 160 0.8 ounces to put that in perspective. So the, the spot price of silver, 400 times our 16.08, equals $6,432. With our barley valuation, 400 shekels times $42, um, 
we have $16,800, and our daily wage valuation, 400 shekels times our $576, that equals $230,400, a little over five years of labor. Now, many of the commentaries I uh, saw said that it is, um, this was a pretty high price for the field. It never really tells us how many acres of the field the field was. We could say maybe he was using the Leviticus 27, so we're just going to kind of skip over how many acres it is and basically say that it was a pretty good price, but it also had a cave on it, and a cave would be really cool, especially when it's hot out. <laughs> so as a, I wish my property had a cave, but it doesn't. Those, those come and go real quick, and they're not cheap. So let's move on to our next <clears throat> transaction. Uh, Genesis 37, verse 28 says, The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So let's do the math. 20, sec- 20 shekels for Joseph. The spot price of silver equates to $321. The barley valuation would be $840, and the daily wage valuation would be $11,520. So that's the price of a, of a slave. And um, this valuation, actually, of 20 shekels tells us that um, a couple things. One, it says if a person, so it's actually in line with what Leviticus 27.5 says, if the person is from five years old and up to 20 years of age, the valuation shall be made for a male 20 shekels for a female, 10 shekels. So we can assume by this that Joseph was under 20 years of age. All right, so our next one we're going to go to is Leviticus, or I'm sorry, Exodus 30, 13 through 15. So now I could have spent a lot of time here because there is a lot of valuations that could have been done when it came to the building of the tabernacle and the building of the temple. Two things that at some point in my life, I'm going to sit down and do the math and figure out how much it costs to build the tabernacle and how much it costs to build the temple. I didn't get there yet. That's a teaching for another day. But because we're going to see it later, we're going to talk about the, um, this tax when they built the tabernacle of half a shekel as an offering. So Exodus 30, 13 says, Each one who is numbered to the census shall give half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. This shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel as an offering to Yahweh. So half a shekel for the temple tax. Take that times our, uh, our multipliers. I didn't kind of explain that earlier when I mentioned I was an estimator. And estimating when we have valuations, like I want to figure out how many tons of asphalt to pave a parking lot. i got to figure out the measurement. But instead of sitting there and doing a whole long math all the time, we come up with multipliers. So when I came up with this matrix, these are our multipliers. So we're taking our um, half a shekel for our spot price of silver. That means that the, it was an $8 tax. It was either an $8 tax or with barley, it was a $21 tax. Or with our daily wage, it was $288. So basically two days of work is what this tax was for the for the temple or the sanctuary. All right, we're going to look next at 1 Samuel 9, verse 8. Here it says, the servant answered Saul again. Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of Elohim, and he will tell us our way. So this quarter shekel that was in Saul's pocket is the same as a denarii. So it was your day's wage. So again, 
The spot price we looked at earlier was $4 for this quarter shekel. Barley would be worth about, the barley valuation would be $10.50, and our daily wage we know is $144. Here's a good one. This one's a fun one. So this was um, Gad the seer came to David, and this is 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 25. If you can't read it, 2 Samuel 18, 24 through 25. Gad the seer said, go up and raise an altar to Yahweh on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as he commanded. When Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, why has my master, the king, come to his servant? David said, to buy the flesh threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to Yahweh that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, Let my master the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of oxen for the wood, or oaks of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May Yahweh your Elohim accept it. But the king said to Aruna, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to Yahweh, my Elohim, that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David, bought, or, uh, and David built there an altar to Yahweh and offered it, and the plague was averted. So the price of the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels. Our spot price of silver was $804.00. Our barley price would have been $2,100, and our daily wage was 28800 Either way, I think it was probably a pretty good price for where the, the temple would eventually be built. It seemed like he wanted to give it to him anyhow, so he gave it to him at a deal. Here's another fun one. 1 Kings 10, 29. 1 Kings 10, 29, it says a chariot could be imported from Mitzrayim for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150 shekels. And so, through, and so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So basically what, what was happening here is, is um, Solomon's merchants were going down to, to Egypt, to Mitzrayim, and they were buying, um, they were buying chariots and horses, and they were selling them to the Hittites and to the Syrians. So, first we're going to look at the chariot, 600 shekels, spot price of 9,648, the barley price, 2500 or $25,000, 200, and the daily wage price, $345,600. Woo! It must be like Rolls Royces or something. Those are pretty expensive, those chariots. I'm assuming they must have been decked out with gold. So the horse, the spot price of silver. I almost feel like I want to be an auctioneer up here and start rambling it off. So, so the horses, our spot silver price is $2,412. Our barley price, $6,300. And our daily wage price, $86,400. Whew, those are some expensive horses. So, um, the, the, you know, they certainly come in in the high end. The, the spot price would actually seem reasonable for a typical horse. The daily wage price would seem high-priced, but let's keep in mind these are trained war horses. 
So, like, think of it of today as, like, a racehorse. You know, racehorses go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Rodeo horses, guys will pay, you know, 80, 000, you know, they'll pay that 80 grand, 100,000. I mean, for a good, good rodeo horse, well-trained, they go for a lot of money. I mean, even good draft horses are $50,000 for a good pair of draft horses. That's what the Amish, you know, sell them for. They make good money raising, you know, raising them uh, draft horses and selling them. So, for a trained war horse, eighty-six thousand seems about right. So not, not everybody obviously had a, a good, a good war horse in a chariot. They were certainly, uh, certainly for uh, the rich. So, an, but another thing to keep in mind when we look at these prices is that Solomon actually flooded the market with silver and um, caused a sort of deflation. We actually and it actually talks about this deflation in First Kings. 10, 21, and 27, it says, All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. None were silver. Silver was considered as, um, as was not considered as anything as in the days of Solomon. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as a sycamore. So, he actually caused a little bit of deflation there in the price of silver. All right, let's keep moving on. Isaiah seven twenty three, and this so this is kind of a, um, a day of Yahweh verse, and it says, "In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns." So, thousand grapevines worth. A thousand shekels spot price would have been sixteen of silver would have been sixteen thousand dollars. The barley valuation would have been forty two thousand dollars, and the daily wage valuation would have been five hundred and seventy six thousand. So that would be, I mean, a thousand vines. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's a big vineyard. So make a lot of fine wine with that. So that's quite a loss. All right. Then we're going to skip next to Jeremiah thirty two six. And the word of Yahweh came to me, Behold, Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, By my field, that is Anathoth, that is in at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of Yahweh, and said to me, By my field, that is in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew this was the word of Yahweh, and I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. So before we talk about a conversion, I want to point out that the word money here, again, is chesef, um, and it's the same as silver. Um, I also want to kind of point out the fact that, that Jeremiah was actually imprisoned at this time. That's why it said they came to him at the court of the guards, but he was still able to buy this for 17 shekels, which, as we see, is a pretty cheap price because in today's spot price of silver, if you had you know that weight in silver shekels, you could get it for $273 worth of, sh- worth of uh, silver, and actually half of that. Uh, barley valuation, you'd need $714 worth of barley to buy that field or the daily wage. $9,792. It was actually a pretty cheap field. So either A, the field was not that large, or B, it wasn't productive, because again, we know it was empirical measurements. And also, it makes, um, it, it actually, the other thing that we don't know 
is where in the Jubilee cycle this was. So this could have dropped the price. You know, maybe it was a couple years before the Jubilee, which would make it a lot cheaper. All right, now time to move on to the Brit Hadashah, on to the New Testament. Matthew 27, 3 through 10. Then Judas, his betrayer, saw that Yeshua was condemned. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Then they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price has been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them to the, for the potter's field, as Yahweh directed me. So the price of Yahshua's betrayal, thirty shekels of silver. Spot price of silver would be $482. Barley valuation, $1,260, and the daily wage valuation, $17,280. Either way, it certainly does not sound like near enough money to burn in a lake of fire. So as we move on to the Brit Hadashah, I wanted to, um, we have to, you know, this was mentioned in shekels, but we have to now do a little conversion. We need another multiplier factor because now we're going to be talking about denarii instead of shekels. So our spot price, I did the math, I'm not going to show you all the math again, but our denarii, knowing that it's one denarii is four, is, uh, four shekels equals one denarii, the spot price of silver for a denarii is four dollars and two cents. Now, actually, if you want to buy a denarii, which you can, I, I wanted to buy one to have one here, but they're, they're out of stock, like many other things nowadays. They're out of stock, but they go for about $300. You can actually buy yourself a, a, a Roman coin, a denarius, because it's worth its, you know, which is closer. That's actually more than what its true valuation of silver is, but because of its historical factors and stuff, of course, it's a valuable coin. But its actual silver weight is only $4.02. Um, our barley valuation, one denarii equals $10.50, and our daily wage equals $144. We saw the, the same conversion earlier. Um, when So, uh, Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, this is 18.23, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So another quick conversion, one talent is uh, 75.4 pounds, which would equate to 12,064 denarii. So the larger debt here is 120,000 denarii, or I'm sorry, back that up, 120,640,000 denarii. So let's take that by the spot price of silver would be 4 million, or 484 million, 
um, almost 485 million. The barley price would be 1 billion 266 million dollars and the daily wage valuation would be 17 billion 372 million. So this is obviously a ridiculous amount of debt that this guy had. And I actually believe that Joshua in this case was using hyper- hyperbole for one reason. He's, making, he's using hyperbole here to make the point that it's a debt that cannot be repaid, just like our debt to sin. And that's his point. The debt that we owe to, to him for taking our sin is a ridiculous amount that can never be paid. And that, that's really, to me, what I found out when you actually do it, you realize that's the purpose of this. You, I mean, unless you're Bill Gates, um, you know, who's going to pay you know, $17 billion? So the smaller debt that was owed was 100 denarii. The spot price of silver would be $402, barley $1,000 basically, and the daily wage would be 14400 Still not a small debt, but manageable. All right. On to Mark 6, verses 37 and 38. But he answered them. This is Yahshua speaking to his disciples. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out they had five loaves and two fish. So one of the disciples apparently estimated that they need 200 denarii of bread. So working that out, the spot price of silver um, would be $804. The barley valuation would be $2,100, and the daily wage valuation would be $28,800 worth of bread. Next one we're going to look at is in Mark 14, 3 and 5. And, uh, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, this is Yahshua again, he was reclining at a table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. We know that Yahshua rebuked them for doing so. So let's see. What did this woman feel that Yahshua was worth to her? 300 denarii. Spot price was only $1,206. The barley valuation, $3,150. The daily wage is a year's salary of $43,200. That's what a Roman, um, Roman soldier was paid for the year. This was certainly some expensive ointment, and I can understand why the apostles were concerned about the use of it. However, when we see who it was used for and what he paid for our sin, it was certainly worth it. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we read in Luke 10, um, Oops, went the wrong way. Here we go. Sorry. Luke 10.35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you, whatever more you spend, I will repay when, you, when I come back. So the money paid by the good Samaritan to the innkeeper, two denarii. Spot price is silver, only $8.04. Barley, or $21. And the daily wage, $288. Pretty generous man to somebody he doesn't know, just saying, here's, here's 300 bucks. Take care of him until they come back. 
Acts 19.19, And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. In this verse, the word translated pieces of silver as the Greek agurion, which we looked at earlier, um, and in fact, this word here was these pieces of silver were a shekel, not a denarii. So we're going back to the, the shekel valuation. So the value of the pagan books that were burned, 50,000 shekels, the spot price of silver would be 804,000. Barley valuation would be 2,100,000 and the daily wage being 28,800,000. Wow. Must have been a lot of books, and no wonder they felt it noteworthy to to put it in the scriptures. You know, it was you know quite a testament that these people were like, "Let's burn our books." They weren't like, "Well, let's sell them." They're like, "No, it's it's, it's pagan. It's you know, let's burn it." So they got rid of them. Now the next scripture we're going to look at, and kind of our our last valuation. So I'm I am coming down. Don't worry, I'm coming down. Revelation six five through six. Um, we're going to look at, and the reason I want to look at this is because this is what actually caused me to come back and look at this to begin with. It's what made, wanted me to look into weights and measures in the first place. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. So a quarter shekel or one denarii for a quart of wheat or three quarts of barley. I don't know why barley kind of gets, you know, I guess more people like wheat, so barley's cheaper. But at the spot price of silver, $4.02, barley, $10.50, the valuation. But our daily wage, $144.00. So you're talking a small quart of wheat, just what you got in your hands, basically, is going to cost $144 when the tribulation comes. So I just want to compare that. Earlier I had bought, um, when I was telling you about what I, when I bought the, uh, the wheat recently for $12.50, we'll put this into comparison. So I paid $60 for six EFA. Or six five-gallon buckets is what I brought my five-gallon buckets. They filled it up. Six five-gallon buckets. So that's $10 per EFA. When you equal that per quart, 50 cents per quart. So $144 in the future versus what now costs 50 cents. Buy your wheat now if you can get it. You can't. It's hard. So regardless, we can see that the scales are extremely unbalanced. And that's the purpose of the, the horse, this, this horse and the rider holding the scales. They're unbalanced. And then when you hear in the news today about all the grain shortages due to war in Ukraine, it really makes you wonder if these days are getting a little closer. We've already been seeing these grain shortages. In our house, we like to use spelt, and we normally get it from Azure Standard. But for the past several months, we haven't not been able to get our, our flour. I'm glad we stocked up when we did. Um, finally, this last month, we were able to get some, but we couldn't get our normal 25-pound bags of flour. We had to buy a couple smaller bags. Two, two, two five-pound bags and a 10-pound bag is all we could get. So the rationing begins, you know. Um, 
But when you consider that most American diets, the SAD diet, standard American diet, SAD, consists of processed foods made from either corn or wheat, you can see how these famines will result. I was actually talking to a brother last week that um, works for MFA, and um, corn is going to be in short supply. So, MF, well, at least this MFA's largest supplier of corn called them up and said, we're not going to have any year corn for you this year. It's too dry. So right now they're cutting all the corn for silage so at least they can feed it to the cows. But when it comes for feed later in the year, they're not going to have the year corn to make the feed. And the prices are already way up. So let's finish up by talking about how we as disciples of Yeshua should view money and how we should deal with it in our lives. Knowing that this, this money that we have is, is an unequal, is not, you know, it's an unequal, it's a dishonest weight and measure. So the first example of what we're going to look at what Yeshua taught us is in Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the half shekel tax went up to Peter and said, Does your not teacher pay the does your teacher does not your teacher yeah, does not your teacher pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came home, Yahshua spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tribute? From their sons or from others? And he said, From others. Yahshua said to them, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. I was fishing. I got thirsty. And when you saw, we, as we saw earlier, the temple tax was the half a shekel. So that was at the time that Moses you know, built, the, built the, the sanctuary. But here at Yeshua's time, it's still half a shekel. Because over that millennia, silver held its value. It's real money. It wasn't subject to change. It's the same price. It doesn't inflate like our fiat money does. It can, however, be debased, which the Roman, Romans did in later years. That is what, <clears throat> basically when they debase the metal that's, or the coins, that's when they add cheaper metals to the, with the silver to reduce the cost of minting the coins. The U.S. did this. The U.S. does it. You know, our coins aren't, our, our quarters used to be made of silver, and our pennies used to be made of copper. They're not anymore. They're made of cheap alloys. You know, in fact, in Yahshua's time, the only shekels that were accepted in the, the sanctuary were these, uh, these tire. They were minted in tire, and they were the, the, either the half shekel or the full shekel. Um, the eagle, what was known as, or what's known as the eagle silver shekel, because they actually contained the highest purity of silver. In this account, like happens many times, Yahshua's opponents are trying to trap him into whether or not he's paying tax. Because they, uh, <clears throat> back in those days, it actually was not unheard of for certain sects not to pay the temple tax. And that's because they believed that the temple was corrupted. The Essenes, for instance, did not pay the temple tax. They didn't have anything to do with the temple. Um, and that's because the temple was corrupt in Yeshua's time. The, it was the Romans who set the Sadducees and Pharisees in charge of the temple, and they collected tribute from them. So what you were paying, some of it was going to the temple, but a lot of it was getting shipped back to Rome. And that was the case, you know, that's why Jerusalem has been fought 
over for the years because that temple was such a source of wealth. Everybody's bringing their tithes, they're bringing their taxes in there. So the Babylonians wanted it, you know, when, they, when Hezekiah brought them and said, hey, come see inside the temple. They saw what it was. They're like, we need to go control that. Um, that's, why, that's why it was fought over. But because of this, the, these priests in Yeshua's time became corrupt. They had unbalanced scales. They acquired wealth for themselves, and they didn't take care of the people. That's, that's a you know, big reason that Yeshua came, part of his ministry. He came and he overturned the, the money changers' tables in the temple. And 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. Anyway, back to their verse. The opponents were trying to trap Yeshua to bring an accusation against him, and they were actually hoping to trap one of his disciples that he didn't pay the temple tax. So there are two things that I find really interesting in this verse that we can learn from as Yahshua's disciples. First off is that the believers are sons of Elohim, and we are free from having to pay the tax, which is different than the tithe. The tithe is not the tax. We're still subject to the tithe as his children. Even the priests paid a tithe of what they received. The second thing that was interesting is that neither Yahshua nor Peter had money on them. We know that Judas carried the money, He carried the, so the apostles did use it when needed. Um, but in this example, neither Yahshua nor Peter had money on them. So, you know, Yahshua had to produce a miracle by, you know, having Peter catch a fish that had a shekel in its mouth. Now, let's go to our next scripture and come back to this thought of them not having money. Matthew 25, 15 through 25. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his, in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of Elohim faith truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Yahshua, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And they said to him, or and Yahshua said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to Elohim the things that are Elohim's. When they heard it, they were marveled, and they left him and went away. Here again, trying to trap him, but Yahshua had the best response. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Basically, Yahweh doesn't care about money. It just causes greed and corruption. But we operate in this system. We operate in what we can call the Babylonian or Caesar system. Therefore, we have to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Unless we want to wind up in jail, that's what we got. But we should be giving to Elohim the things that are Elohim's because true tithes are the fruit of your flocks and the fruit of your land and not money. Yes, things can be converted and paid and redeemed with money, but from the beginning it wasn't the case. All the patriarchs and those before them offered up their sacrifices on the altar because ultimately, when we rely on Yahweh to provide the things that we really need, like food and clothes, those things come straight from the earth. But in a commercial, in a commercial system, if you can produce your food yourself, if you can produce your own clothing, this is linen. Eventually, I would like to grow flax and make my own linen. But if you can make your own stuff, you're, you don't have to pay the tax. 
until you take this, until I take it and sell it to someone, and then technically I should pay the tax on it because I'm engaging in a commercial system. But <clears throat> until they're converted to the currency of the day, it's, it's free from tax. Things that Yahweh gives us from the earth are free from tax. At that, but at the point that you start to, to engage in the commercial system and you choose to participate in that system or are already you know, born into it, we're subject to paying tax and tribute to it. Coming out of Babylon is actually a really hard thing, and some people are honestly trying to do it. One day we will all have to, but until then we need to recognize that money is just a form of exchange, and we shouldn't idolize it or let it control our lives. When Yahshua sent out his disciples to preach the good news, he told them, Acquire no gold or silver or coppers for your belts. <clears throat> we didn't really get into it, but you know, copper was also used in coins. But then we know that Yahshua told them, and he said to them, when I, see, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell it, or sell his cloak and buy one. Now that he is not with his disciples, he tells us that we should use these things for their intent and purpose to get, to get us by. You know, if we kept reading there, they said, well, here, Master, we have two swords. He said, that's enough. So he'll give us enough, just like the, the, the fish. You know, he gave them just enough of uh, the, that shekel that they needed for Yahshua and Kepha. We need to think of money as a tool in our tool belt and not an idol in our bank account. Because it's not a full bank account that should make us feel safe and secure, but it's our belief and faith in our Creator and His Mashiach. So to summarize, we can see that based on the daily wage valuation of Scripture and the valuations of the barley and silver, our monetary system has devalued these real commodities, such as silver and grain, to a worthless level, where they're worth less. And due to inflation that fiat currency is subject to because it's only worth the paper that it's printed on and it's backed by quote-unquote confidence, not actual silver or gold, the dollar you made yesterday won't be worth the same amount tomorrow. Thereby, the beast system and its central bankers are robbing you with a dishonest weight and measure. That is why it is time to come out of her, my people. I urge you to do your own research about modern monetary theory and all the quantitative easing or money printing that they've been doing and how it affects you. And you will be appalled, and you will know why Yahweh calls it, calls it an abomination. I will leave you with this scripture. Yochanan, or James 5.1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and you will eat and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up your you have laid up treasure in these last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters that have re have reached the ears of Yahweh Saravot. You have lied, or you have lived. On the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I say, therefore, humble and seek to live a simple existence.
May Yahweh bless you.